Look left. Look right. Yes, you're in a place. Ever wondered what goes into making great places? Join Jeff and Matt as they speak to placemakers across the globe and have a chat about what goes into creating the workplaces, communities, hotels, restaurants, civic spaces, even cities that we all use on the daily. Welcome to the Places for People podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respect to their elders, past, present and future. Hi, I'm Jeff, and we're here speaking to strategists, creatives, and place and property professionals to find out what goes into the planning, creating and running of some of the coolest places on the planet. Today, we have with us Natalie Slesser. Natalie is head of customer and digital investment management at Lendlease. As one of Australia's few social psychologists specialising in the built environment, Natalie works with customers to answer key questions about how Lendlease responds to the future of living, leisure, and especially work. She has over 19 years' experience in property strategy, having been a director at Woods Bagot and head of workplace strategy at Macquarie Bank. She has expertise on the workplace design of the future and is considered a place user experience expert and is one of the most inspirational, lovely and visionary people in property today. Hi Nat, it's great to have you here. Thanks Jeff, that was a very generous introduction. It's lovely to be here. Oh, no, thanks. I'm super excited to have you here, I really am. I've heard you speak numerous times and are always left that little bit smarter and much more inspired. So thank you for joining us. You're so welcome. We start each episode by asking guests to paint a picture of their favourite places, either near or far, and love to ask what place holds a special um, personal spot in your heart. Well, I do appreciate this being a a question that you said you would ask me. It was such a hard one to choose, of course. So I've chosen a, a type of place rather than one specific place, and that's a village. So I was brought up in villages in the UK, in small country towns, in the rolling hills between London and Oxford. Very, very lucky place to be, green and lush. Also spent a lot of time in a lovely village in the Alps in France. And places that I've visited are always at that scale. I think it's something cosy about it, which is absolutely amazing. It's such a microcosm of society, but it has this special ingredient of typically being close to nature, which I also love. That's really interesting. I think scale is a really interesting thing in that regard. Like I always find myself drawn to smaller places and you just feel more safe and secure. They I guess. do. They make you feel more at home and there's a sense of belonging that you can get quite quickly in a village, yep. I think. And actually, although I've worked my whole career in cities pretty much, I think it's the dynamics of the village that we're often trying to achieve, which kind of gives a clue about some of the things that uh, we think is important in placemaking. It's funny, actually, like now you say that some of the places that I love in Sydney, even though they're very central, have got that kind of village feel and like Surrey Hills or somewhere like that. That's right. I think it's Sydney used to have the moniker, I don't know if it still does, a city of villages. And that really appealed to me. And I think it, it, it is that connection to place that you kind of get. I do recognise, however, villages can be the hotbeds of controversy and gossip and scrutiny. <laughs> like the village isn't totally perfect when you live in it all the time, but it's, uh, it's not always roses. The other thing I love about it is it's inherently mixed use. So a thriving village that I remember when I was younger has got all the components that you need pretty much right there. There's the pub, the church, the shop, 
the guy down the road who can fix your tire, this guy, that guy, whatever it might be, you know, the person who over here bakes their own bread. And it's, it sounds very homesy, but nonetheless, you can see how that mixture can be really healthy and nice and fantastic place to live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's probably not a great reference for our Australian listeners, but reminds me of like an Emmerdale farm or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but you've definitely got your controversy, but also those fantastic ingredients that make it a lovely place to live. I think in COVID, it's interesting how community kind of thrived. You know, we all went, retreated to our homes because we had to. And your local coffee shop was probably doing, when we were allowed out, probably doing really well. And your little local grocer or what have you. I think that it doesn't have to be an English reference necessarily. If you just think about community at that scale in your mind, what is your community? That's where you're getting close to what I mean by village. You mentioned there you grew up in English villages and obviously lovely place to start life. So how do you end up sitting with us in the place that you are today and obviously halfway across the world as well? Saying it like that makes it feel like it's been an epic and very well-planned journey. But <laughs> as I thought about this, I thought I realised it hadn't been a very well-planned journey, but it's been a journey nonetheless. I started doing an economics degree at Bath University, which is arguably a giant village, lovely historic town in the UK, but uh, quickly realised that economics was too theoretical and I wanted more real world and switched to psychology with sociology, which is the study of how we come together as a society and communities. So that included, during my degree, time as a researcher with a consultancy called DEGW. And those in the, in the workplace world will know it's not, doesn't exist anymore, but it has created an incredible fraternity of people who worked in workplace futures and workplace uh, strategy, if you like. And I really enjoyed doing some of my placements there. So I finished my degree and then had a mad idea. I'd go and be in musical theatre and go and do a drama degree for postgraduate. Wow. <laughs> well, this crazy idea. I was something talked off different. the ledge. Something yeah. very different. I was talked off the ledge by my father and my mum, I'm certain, who said, why don't you go travel? darling, you know, do that instead. And I think that was a good intervention. And actually being out in the world made me realize I did love this idea of place and being able to influence people's experience of place. So going back to the UK after my travels of all over the world, I went back to DGW and I actually ended up spending 10 years there as a consultant. And actually working in consultancy isn't for everyone. But you are exposed to such a massive array of issues and people and perspectives that actually I thrived in it. And I feel like it was my genuine postgraduate. Like I really did month after month, different interviewing different people, observing different places. You get your 10,000 hours in pretty fast when you're doing that. You know, that was very, very interesting. It was not a pedestrian job. It was different every day. So, and it was, I was there at the, the crux of the moment when open plan was sort of new and activity-based or shared workplaces was, was still far off. So I rode that wave in of open planning and shared workplaces with DGW. And it was terrific to be at the heart of that debate, whether you, whether you like what we did or, <laughs> or those sorts of outcomes um, or not. Yeah. I mean, we're there for both sides of that debate. I traveled by then to Sydney with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, and we've got two fabulous kids and have pretty much lived here ever since. But during that time, worked for Macquarie Bank and Woods Bagot, and I critically moved client side with Macquarie. I thought that was actually one of the critical points where you have to stop the consultant speak yep. <laughs> and start to say, right, how do I make this really happen? Yes. A consultant will throw 100% and 50% sticks. If you're on the inside, you, everything's got to be delivered and that's yeah. it. So it really changed my viewpoint. But 
but then nonetheless, 10 years ago, moved across to Lend-Lease. And that's been interesting too. And another viewpoint from a developer investor perspective, what do we do about creating places ground up? So not so much inside the buildings and the dynamics of people in their workplaces, but what about the dynamics of a city? And that's been fascinating over the last 10 years. I actually can't believe it's 10 <laughs> years. It feels like a, a blink of an eye, but it's um, it's still a terrific place to be. Yeah. Wow. That is quite a journey. It really is. And yeah, you can kind of see those points of change and things that would have such a big impact both on yourself and on the workplace that you've seen. What would you say have been the biggest kind of changes that you've seen in workplace? Yes, good question. And you you do get very resilient having those debates. You yeah. know, you, you <laughs> I don't want to sound like a nerd all, but literally I must have had a, the debate about workplace a thousand times. And yeah. and it's never old, don't get me wrong, but you, you do get a really good insight into what people care about in their workplaces. As I said, from offices to open plan to shared workplaces, that shift was big and material. But I would often describe on meeting people what I did pre-COVID. And people would say, oh, yeah, well, my office is all right, I suppose. And they would be relatively ambivalent or they'd have an opinion about its tidiness or its lightness or its dustiness. But post-COVID, post-lockdown COVID, that is not the case. I've become seriously engaged in the conversation about workplace. Anybody you meet will tell you exactly what they think <laughs> about the way they work, yep. when, how, long, how much they want to be there, what it's like when they get there. And it's a sort of careful what you wish for moment. Yes. <laughs> the world is engaged in what the future of work looks like, probably more than ever. So the biggest change has been the most recent, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously that was driven by a, a large scale global event. What do you think drove the initial change to open plan? Dare I say it, but it was likely to be cost up the top of that list, you know, to have private offices for each individual was incredibly space hungry. In hindsight, it's more sustainable, of course, as well. But actually, back in the day in the 90s, it was about a more efficient way to lay out your workplace. Now, open planning wasn't new, necessarily. It's been around since the 1950s, since offices were invented. You had open plan space, but it became much more prevalent. And even those into the senior echelons of businesses, at that point. Cost was driving it. The occupancy of the office had changed as technology had been introduced. So people, yes, they could be at home a little bit. We didn't have broadband Wi-Fi no. <laughs> everywhere by any means. But yes, you had a portable computer and you had a phone and that was that was becoming normal. It sounds like I'm talking ancient history, but it wasn't that, <laughs> it no, wasn't that long no. ago that this was reality. And I think you, you and I both remember that. Um, and we're not that old, I have to say, for those listening. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I think that was the shift and it was about cost and about how do we work more efficiently together. When we are in, we should be talking to each other at its yeah. best. You know what? Open planning, though, it's not all created equal. I can see how divisive it is. You know, you go to an open plan workplace, which is very soulless, colorless. The light is not there and the interaction isn't there. And I can understand why people think it's pretty awful. You could try yeah. and go there and try and concentrate or even collaborate. It's not good at either. Why would we do it? So, and I've been to open planning, which is thriving and vibrant, but also provides people spaces to be quiet and it can work really well. And it can be the the mouthpiece of a culture of a business sometimes. So yeah, it's pretty polarizing open plan. It's like not all created equal. And then activity-based working or shared workplaces where you sort of divorced from the desk a little bit and rove a bit more, that was probably even more divisive. But yeah, that's a whole other journey. Yeah, that's right. But I guess it's interesting, people's connection to certain things. Where do I put my stuff? Where's my ruler going to live and my 
you know, stapler. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so associated to your sense of self and your sense of belonging. And do I want to feel like I can grab everything and run? Do I want to feel really portable and agile and independent? Or do I want to feel established and important and authoritative? It depends on your role. It tends, depends on the business and how you're remunerated and the work that you're doing. So it's it's got some complexity to it. So I understand people's different opinions. I mean, you ask people, a thousand people, their perfect workplace, you'll get a thousand answers. So how are you supposed to get a corporate real estate strategy that starts to answer half of those? It's it's not an easy task. And I respect everyone on the client side who's trying to do it. You mentioned earlier about the degree in psychology. And obviously, a lot of the things that we're speaking about now are very much about people rather than place. Or I guess they start with the person and it has an effect on the place. So how has being a psychologist or being trained in psychology helps you navigate those challenges in your career and the challenges that you face for Lendlease? Yeah, so my psychology, you can hear from my story, it was many moons ago, <laughs> but I still say it and I'm still proud of it because for the simple, very simple reason that it gave me a place from which to stand and think about place and that's from the position of people and an empathetic way of thinking about what success looks like for human beings and for teams and for businesses and maybe for communities as well. So it's in the world in which I occupy now in development and investment, I'm surrounded by geniuses, land economists and lawyers and engineers, and they will work out the best deal and they'll work out the most efficient way of using the space that we've got. But I'm proudly there as the voice of the people and sitting there, hopefully to get the outcomes for business and people, as I said, the soft power of what place can mean for people. So there has to be some of that voice in our sector, or we would just extrude tall buildings out of the ground with maybe not all the softness that we might need. One of the things that I'm really interested in, and for anyone that's kind of a LinkedIn user will definitely be um, aware of this, but we seem to be as a human society so obsessed with change. And it doesn't matter what we're kind of looking at or you know, whether it's media or technology or workplace in, in this instance, is that there seems to be so much and what's the new thing on, on the cutting edge all the time. And to me, I feel like there's certain things that humans just crave and have craved throughout society. And I'm just really interested in getting your opinion on, you know, what's more important? Is it change and thrusting forward or is it those things that have inherently driven the human race since day one? Yeah, I think it's fascinating you mentioned LinkedIn because our industry, and that's property, workplace, design, is obsessed with change. But I, I'm going to controversially say I just think we're talking to ourselves. I think we're, bit, we're seeing now with this return to office being slow, Routines are really hard to change. Lives and opinions and viewpoints are really hard to change. I'll tell you from the viewpoint of having done open planning and activity-based workplace type projects, it is really difficult to make change happen in that way. So I think we like like ideas. I think we like reading. I think we do love knowledge. I think it's fantastic that our industry is talking about change. Other people can consume of that knowledge and make their own opinions. But no, I think established routines are incredibly difficult to shift. Human beings are pretty stubborn. Our patterns of using a city arguably are not so different over hundreds of years, arriving to collaborate in the old clubs in London or Rome or Paris and trade and do business and retreating to, to home. You know, I don't know if those routines are, are particularly different 
in any way, really. It's just we do probably have more choice now than we've ever had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? I'd always feel like there's just some things that always drive us, things like, as you mentioned, connection or whether it's the simple things like coming together to be able to eat. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, that those things haven't changed over such a huge amount of time. And even though we have had these disrupting factors come in, they're still there. They're still driving us and they're still part of society. So I think that's true. Absolutely, it's true. You know, we did a workshop recently with some really interesting youth innovators from all over the world. We partnered with a business called International Connector. I can't say enough about them. They're fantastic. And they curated a group of people for us from South America to Silicon Valley to Europe and to Australia and so forth. And we sat on screen with them and actually talked and asked, what do they think about the future of work, workplace, cities, all sorts of things? And they don't see any difference in human connection online and in person. And that's the first time they said, your generation's the only one who talks about human connection the way that you do. And, you know, that's going to age me. Um, But me and my kids (laughs) and those guys, (laughs) those guys, they were saying, we feel sometimes it's easier to connect quickly online and build a really deep relationship with that person. Whereas in, in person, it can be awkward and small talk and you can't just shut the conversation down if it doesn't work. You know, there's good and bad in, in all of that. But nonetheless, I think we have to open our eyes to the fact that everything that we used to do can now be done online. And it's not necessarily worse or better. What these young people, they're not just sitting on the couch, right, doing everything online. They're out. They want to be engaged in the world. In fact, more than any other generation, they want to solve the big problems of the world. And that's where they're going. They're going to the places they can do that, where they can engage with nature, where they can engage with each other. And that's the responsibility of the workplace of the future. How do we be part of that story? Not necessarily just a container of desks and chairs and people and functions, but an engager of new talent, an engager in purpose and good causes and things that you might want to work on that have a deeper moral imperative. It's a bit of a whole new ball game. I'm talking at the extreme here, the edge technology in this space, but I think it's going to be a really interesting era coming. Absolutely. It is. It's fascinating. It really is. And we've spoken about so many step changes and most of them seem so minor. You know, the move from private offices, you know, having your corner office to open plan, it seems relatively insignificant in comparison to now we are becoming kind of connectors of people to be able to solve kind of major world problems and you know all of, all of those kind of things it seems really exciting it is really exciting and then underlying all of that the next generation are still going to need to pay the rent or buy the beautiful food that they want to eat i think this generation is going to try and have have it all if they can one of my predictions is that yes they will want to work for big business because why wouldn't you want some security and some stability in your life a generation that have had not very much probably but also they will want to work on the best projects that actually make a difference so this is the big opportunity for big business to turn yourself into a cause or purpose-led business or in some way just a business with that moral agenda pushing forward and give your employees a great economic outcome as well. It's going to be very interesting. The banks will still exist. The professional services, the tech companies, they'll all still exist. But to engage that talent force is going to be quite a different challenge to the last generation. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are going to be the biggest barriers for big business to be able to achieve that? 
That's a great question. The biggest barriers will probably be, yeah, are they going to enable their talent to work in the way that they want? So that good old chestnut of flexibility. Where's the balance between wanting to engage people and bring them together and let them have some freedom? So that yes, how much flexibility can you offer? Absolutely. You know, it's sort of what's the brand promise of working for a big company if you worked for a a TikTok. You can kind of get, I mean, the brand brings along some essence of, oh, it might be fun, fast moving, media based. I'm going to make some assumptions about TikTok yeah. here, but um, I would assume that that's what they do on the outside. Yeah. Now, what I think in the future is that's exactly what they need to do on the inside. So how far does your brand promise soak through to your employees is going to be critical. So if you say that on the outside, you've got to work on the inside and it's got to be stronger on the inside than it is on the outside. Quite often your brand promise is stronger on the out than the in. I think that might flip, which would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the thinking that I do is around the symbolism of brand within the workplace as well. And I find that fascinating in that it might seem superficial to some extent is having these symbols of what your brand stands for within the workplace. But I also think that that's got a function in terms of being able to you know, make people feel comfortable, make people feel connected and make them understand and feel connected to that purpose. I think is hugely important. Yeah. If you think about it to its its extreme, we're going to get into an era where, you know, the workplace historically has been relatively similar and we've all been on the same journey. It looks slightly different, but yeah. we went from this to that <laughs> to activity-based and blah, blah, blah. I think you're going to find it just explodes into a massively diverse Set of so if your brand is your workplace, is your business, and is your employee value proposition, therefore your workplace will be very different to the next door workplace, which will be very different to the next door workplace. So I'm looking forward to the workplace being led by experiences, really rich, vibrant places that you walk in and go, Oh my gosh, I know exactly what you guys do for a living. This speaks volumes to me, which will be very interesting to do. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be really, um, a really creative era potentially in work. Do you think it's? Do you think in terms of the f- the physicality of the building? Let's call it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what a better phrase is for that. Yeah. In terms of the physicality of the buildings that we've got in the city today, or cities across the world today, are they set up for that, or are we going to face a big problem in that? They're pretty fixed in a certain way and therefore it's going to be hard to embed that change. And It's a really good question. I think it's the city itself, the CBDs or the central business districts of most cities have buildings with a medium to small to medium sized floor plate. And I think that's going to suit this way of working very well because it's quite intense and it's, you know, you can really bottle a lot into a 1500 meter or a 1200 meter floor plate, which is what a lot of the standard ones are. You can get a bit bigger, uh, of course. And I think the intensity of the city in terms of its place, like beyond the walls, is going to suit uh, really rich experiences where you stitch together what your people's experiences are. I think the buildings that are really the structures that are going to suffer potentially are the big fat floor plates that you're seeing in like science parks or business parks that are out there as kind of huge floor plate fields of desks, which are less intense and personal. And again, for me, <laughs> less yeah. like a village, I suppose. It's less, yeah. you know, it's, it's not as easy to get in your mind uh, and capture that sense of belonging. Yeah, so I guess I they're think reflective a, of the place that yes. they're in. Well, they are. They had well, the, right? the sprawl, yeah. so they'd sprawled, yeah. right? And, that was, and they were accommodating, and they are accommodating, 
very large businesses, which may have manufacturing attached to them or or not. So some of the large tech companies have got very big campuses and very big floor plates. And I wonder, it might be just a heavier lift to get them to feel really intimate and a sense of real connection to people when you've got a city tower, which is kind of cozy on the upstairs and you go downstairs and it's vibrant and alive and it feels sort of more... It feels a bit more, yeah. more of an experience, I should say. It's something that I'm really interested in is there's obviously there are, even today, there's so many factors outside of your desk that you go to work at. You know, how do you go about thinking and considering all of those experiences and things that make up a commercial place or a place to work? You definitely start with the context. You know, a place is not a place because I thought of it or you did or anybody did. It's there for its own grounded community. Like what's there now? Who's there now? And who do we want to be there? And then we just have to be in massive listening mode, to be honest. And the the joy of working somewhere like Len Lease actually is the consideration of thought that goes into master planning and putting together a mixed, big mixed use urban regeneration project is significant. In fact, easily the most important step by a by a long, long way. And as a developer, um, the part of the business, they the economics is pretty important, but that's it's down the list by quite a by quite a way in terms of creating something that is respectful, that is future facing, that's about community and about being a part of the the growth of the economy and the society generally, without sounding <laughs> too <laughs> highfalutin. Yeah. But if it doesn't hit those high points, what's the point? You can't we, we should be we should be a successful, profitable business, but not at any cost to that context. So that's really, really important. And like I said, it's probably much less important and has been in my career for the last couple of years, what the desks and chairs are doing, (laughs) right? People didn't choose to come to Barangaroo, which is one of our flagship developments, because we had the right size desk necessarily, or they it was about where did they want their business to be and what kind of business did they, what jacket were they putting on? You know, are they a Barangaroo type business? I don't know. You can make your judgment what that is. <laughs> uh, well, that is yeah. whether that's good or bad. Or are you um, a, a Melbourne, you know, Paris end kind of business? Are you a Docklands business and so forth? So you know what I mean? Like you're sort of pegging to it comes that back first. to brand slightly it kind of does yeah. like we're coming full brand circle. or personality of yeah. that business and how that fits well i mean dare i say it coming back to my first analogy of villages and having been brought up in a village you really knew which village you were from oh you're from <laughs> village a and oh i'm from village b you know yeah. it's that and i think there's great there's great things about that there's bad things too and it can be over judgmental but it's actually about saying oh, this is the kind of person i am and it says in one or two words, an awful lot about who you are and and what you stand for. What would you say, obviously, there's a lot that goes into the consideration of creating a place. What are some of the actual kind of physical things that Lendlease considers as important when you go about creating a place like Barangaroo? Yeah, so the physical tools that you might use or ingredients, the Number one is that it's mixed use. So even if you can't use the office or what have you, you've 
people people are there. So we have a mixture. Um, Barangaroo is a good example, actually, but it's, it's true of many of our of our great places that we developed as also acquired. They've got a mixture of urban retail. They've got some residential and there's some commercial workplace there too. I think the mixed use menu is going to grow over time. So one of my predictions is that we should see more learning, more arts and culture actually potentially coming into those. So we'll, we'll be talking mixed use in three ways, but maybe five, six, seven, eight ways, which I really love. I think at the ground plane, somewhere that's permeable. In some cities, the, you know, the glass curtain wall hits the pavement pretty, pretty hard. And we really always care very much about how porous our buildings are, respectfully secure and keeping our customers safe, but somewhere that's accessible and feels that anybody could walk in and be safe from the rain or wait, wait for a meeting or a coffee to happen. So urban retail, uh, permeability is really important. And then the third one I'll pick off the top of my head is, is green space and nature. So access to putting your feet on the grass or your hand in the water or being able to sit and have some kind of outlook can be really important. So we have a development in Melbourne called Melbourne Quarter, very urban, right opposite Southern Cross Station. It's a fantastic place, but it's devoid of its natural park. So we created a sky park that sits up at level one of the building. And so wherever, even if you can't get it, you'll find that, I hope you'll find that that's an ingredient of everywhere we touch. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. It's, it is fascinating to hear that because I think you know, if you don't work in a city, people's perceptions of what a city is made up of and yeah. what workplace entails might be completely different. But it, you know, it's lovely to hear you know, those elements of village life <laughs> absolutely exist within cities and yeah, it can obviously make it such a much more enriching experience for people that either visit or work within some of those spaces. And we don't get it always right. It's actually about having the humility to say we could try something else on for size because you might mm. set the stage for a great place but realize you've got to play, you've got to continue to play the play, right? We have to be involved yeah. for the long term. And we are now on the investment side of the business where I am now. We are a long-term landlord and placemaker. So it's not just about creating and then saying, bye, see you later, but actually saying, well, we, we the legacy is from now on. The first yeah. day of the project for me is the last day of the project for the developer, yeah. if you like. Yeah. So what does that mean ongoing? So we do have to have the Yes, the humility to say, well, this worked and this didn't and let's try something else on, but also to continue to listen because people's needs change. Then Barangaroo, again, we're using it as a case study a lot, but it's it was created 10 years ago from when we speak. Then there's been COVID. I mean, you can imagine there's been huge shifts in why people on earth would come to the office and what for. So what are we doing about that? And we are, to, again, in a next period of placemaking in that place and in every place we look after. Yeah, I love the thought of that, that it's a partnership that evolves yeah. over time and changes as people's needs change. I think that's super important. Yeah, it is. And you just have to ask people. I mean, like I said, everybody, everyone will give you an opinion. We're all experts in place. This is not a, a job that's that's exclusive to anybody. We should all be able to say what you like and what you don't. Sometimes it's hard to answer the question, like, what do you like, what you don't? It's not a great question. But once you really have a conversation with someone about what makes them feel safe or successful or um, included or um, respected, I mean, that's a, those are different kinds of questions. And I would encourage everybody to ask those kinds of questions. When you start with you know, a new place, blank slate, and going into that, do you start with hypotheses as to how you think this might eventuate? 
Yes, it's interesting because it's it's never quite a blank sheet of paper. If we're dealing with an urban regeneration project, there has been some, obviously, this, the city council and the city may have had a pre-prescribed kind of use of that space. It may have had schemes and stuff that's sitting on it already. So there's going to be some sentiment or regulation around that space already. So that that's one constraint. Not often we can probably get, a, get around that to a certain extent, by which I mean you may be able to build on what's there and, and create a new place. And the community will have some thoughts about it. So you would have a hypothesis that is both economic, social, and environmental, absolutely, but within the context of what I've just said. And the economic context is important. We're a shareholder business. It's It's important that you know, the property sector is a, is a really important part of the economy. And we want to make sure that it's a success, a success from that base. As I said, not at the cost of social impact. So what does it do to the people around it and how are we having a legacy effect on, on human beings and success? And also environmentally and increasingly environmentally, how are we becoming part of the solution, not necessarily the problem when it comes to climate change? You know, property developers and builders and construction is, is responsible for you hear the 38, 39, 40% of emissions, it's a lot. And our responsibility is to the economic and the social, but that we are, we are additive to the conversation about environmental and are creating at the bow wave new solutions every day. From new concrete solutions to new ways of using energy, to waste management, to energy provision, you, you name it. There's probably not one stone quite yet unturned at least It's a passion piece, as, I'm, as you can hear, I'm going on about it. But it's a real passion piece that um, that we do that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, definitely. It's so good to hear and it is so important. Do you think that those, um, those factors are more prevalent in Australia or do you see changes? Obviously, Land Lease has got a global um, span, but do you see that there's big changes in different countries around the globe in terms of what's important or even just what they're kind of considering in terms of the built environment and workplace? Yeah, I think that's, it's a great question. I absolutely do think it's a, it's a global conversation. I think Australia has been right at the front of the environmental uh, sort of innovations in that space and regulations too. Um, it's a sophisticated um, story here, and we thankfully w- operating in Singapore, the US, and the UK, and 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 Milan have been able to take that conversation to other places. Now, not not that that conversation wasn't alive, but I'm telling you, it lands really well. And some recent wins and relationships that have been struck have been on the basis that we can deliver. And there's proven projects right here on the ground in Australia that we can deliver groundbreaking sustainability outcomes alongside development. So we're really, really proud to be part of that conversation, but it's alive everywhere. I do think Australia is ahead in that respect. In terms of workplace change and whether we use desks and chairs and workplaces differently, that was definitely true before COVID. I mean, we were so far ahead in some ways, or we had moved the conversation on, that we started to look weird and unrelatable. (laughs) And people would say, well, yeah, 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 but that's Australia. We can't do that here. And you know, in a, yeah, in the UK okay. or, or Milan or Singapore or wherever. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not us. That's you weirdos down down under, right? <laughs> anyway, so I think we've gone a long way um, to the point where it was actually becoming a little unrelatable geographically. Wow. Very relatable here. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But we were in Silicon Valley with a big tech company. Um, we've got a big partnership with Google. They're talking about what we do in workplace. And they'd be like, well, that is, that is a long way from where we're at. So, okay. You wouldn't okay. expect that from 
and, no, uh, and that's Innovator right. in other respects. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. A very progressive organization, <laughs> and respectfully, amazingly <laughs> successful. Of course, Google's incredible, but it's yeah. So we had started to look like a bit of an outlier. I think that'll come back a bit. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's a global journey, right? Return to office yeah, and what we're doing. We're actually everyone. the whole level set has been changed. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> Didn't realize we were weirdos. Yeah, totally weirdos. <laughs> Love it. Oh, you just yeah. I could have told that for so many ways, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> that's good. Obviously, with the amount of projects that you've worked on, that you've seen globally, and you know some fascinating ones in such an amazing career, what's been the most exciting thing that you've either seen or or worked on yourself? Yeah, gosh, again, that's hard to. I'm, I'm I feel very lucky to have touched everything that I've touched. I think from the biggest by far was the Google projects in the US, and the projects for those who don't know are master planning projects over four very large district scale actually areas, and it's a it's a huge task, and it's still ongoing. It's not a project that we completed by any means. My role was to engage Google's workplace leaders in the idea of how we can integrate their workplaces into thriving communities because Silicon Valley is a big business park largely with lots of security and privacy around it and the idea was to create thriving communities kind of around these buildings. A village maker. Basically, yeah. And and, uh, ultimately that was successful because we were chosen as their partners, but it was an immense privilege to be involved and land my thoughts, but also the Lend-Lease brand and and our values in that context. So that was a terrific thing to be on. Sydney Place, um, I'm going to pick as well. Sydney Place is on George Street in the middle of Sydney. It's soon to be the home to Salesforce and a number of other businesses that shall remain nameless for now. But it's a particular favourite of mine. It's very intense. It's slightly smaller floor plate, which I kind of think really hits well, in hindsight. (laughs) It hits really well (laughs) in this market. But it's got an intensity at the ground plane, which is layers of little laneways. And I think it's going to be fantastic. It's by Foster Partners, the architecture. And for those of you seeing it going up in the city, I hope uh, it'll be open later this year. So I hope you'll come and enjoy that ground plane. But as I said, placemaking is an ongoing task. It's not necessarily about winning the work or doing the architecture. So Barangaroo has got to be up there. It's like my ongoing passion is to make sure that we never stop master planning and we never stop placemaking. So we've mentioned it a few times and there's a good reason for that. It's uh, it's close to my heart. Oh, that's fantastic. So many interesting, interesting examples. And I guess so many similarities though. I love the fact, just coming back from talking about Google and everyone knows, you know, the vast, scale and obviously can imagine the enormity of their workplaces, but to bring that back to villages and to, you know, true place making community and belonging, it's just fascinating. I think as a brand gets really big like that, and this isn't necessarily about Google, of course, but any organization, you you start small and it's intimate and close and you, you don't need to be told about your culture. You just know where you're going. And then how do you scale and keep that flavor? At a certain point, you've, you've got that brand of the team or the brand of the business and it get, there's some complexity to it. So somewhere like Google or other big organizations, the scale of it does lend itself quite a lot of complexity. Actually, it's not just one brand. There's several very successful businesses underneath that. And then the teams that sit in there and then how they innovate in their smaller scrums is sort of fascination at a yeah. massive scale. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was a learning. I'll never, I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, I always appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can definitely see how the experiences that you've had and your expertise and speciality just come to life in so many different ways across these 
you know, massive, significant projects. And it's, it's really interesting and really encouraging that both Lendlease and other businesses that they partner with think about these things and think about the humanity and community and connection of place and people. I find that fascinating. I've, I've learned a lot, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I ha- th- thank you for the accolade, but I have to say this is like a team sport on another level. I'm a very small voice, really, on a project like that. And I mean, even Barangaroo, but um, I'm so happy to be part of that team, if you like. You really have to want to be a team player in this sector, I think. Boldly sticking to what you know and my voice about the soft power of place and its influence and what that means for design and, and holding that line in those in those meetings where we're all yeah. wagging the red <laughs> pen around or trying to work out what to do in terms of placemaking for the next two, five years. Uh, so you got to stick to what you know and take your view, but you've got to listen to others probably equally, if not more. And my failing is I'm a bit of an idea addict. So I, <laughs> you, have an, you yeah. might be riffing off each other and telling you, oh my God, that's such a great idea. And I'll just, you know, I just love that. I have to calm myself down all the time. I just, that's my favorite part of it when we get the ideas. So, I, you know, I've been, you know, accused of being a real idea addict and I have to rein myself back. I can relate. That's why we're here, actually. He's here recording a podcast. It's my favorite I had an idea and then had to to make sure of it. But when when you're riffing like together and you've got those different expertise around the table from engineers to lawyers to financiers to weirdos like me and others, when the idea pops out, it's a good one. If we can all go, Oh, that something's happened there. Yep. That's my favorite bit of the job by a long way. Yeah. When we know that we've unlocked some value for some reason, some people or some even real hard value, that's really exciting. Are you just uh, walking along the street, walking the dog and an idea pops into your head kind of person or yeah, is there like bit. a process or... Oh, no, no, no. I'm not processy at all. <laughs> at all. Um, no, people know me will laugh when I say that because I'm not linear particularly. Yeah. And and sometimes it is. But it's um, what's very important to me is that there's time for that to gestate in my mind. I saw a TED talk about the value of procrastination. Mm-hmm. You know, that thing where you're sort of doing nothing, but you're doing everything in your mind. Yeah, yeah. That for me is is significant. I have the best ideas in a deadline situation as well. So what are we going to do now? And (laughs) that adrenaline will fuel and surface probably things that have been in my mind. So yeah, not linear. I respect the linear because everything we work on is linear. It's a project, of course, or or a process of placemaking is is time-based. Everything's, so I respect that and and conform to that, but my own mental processes are a lot less than linear (laughs) by a long way. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. That's for sure. (laughs) You're Um, creative. I know you are. So we've probably reached the point where we move on to our three quick fire questions at the end. So I wanted to ask you, what in your opinion is the number one consideration for successful placemaking in the future? Context. It's not a place um, unless it's some, somewhere. Um, and actually, even for a workplace project, it's, you know, I often get asked, what does a great workplace look like by a CEO or somebody, you know, a business leader? And I say, well, what does a great what does success look like for your business? What does your business look like at its best? Because you know what? The brief is inside. You've already got the words. So if I say my business looks great when it's thriving and it's this and it's creating and so on, right, that's the workplace that we need. You've written the brief. Think about what your city needs, what your business needs, what you need. That's the brief. You will find great placemaking right inside what you what you want. And it's all about context. What's the coolest thing you've seen in placemaking? It's probably a bit more superficial, but... Well, I'm going to bring this back to, yeah, that's a good, that's another great question. So many cool things, so much cool tech as well. But I'm going to say 
Barangaroo Headland Park. Mm. And for those who don't know that, it's not a built environment. It was created and built, but it's not a built environment. So that might be surprising somewhat. But I think it's a magic mix. It's got activity and places to sort of throw a ball and, and walk a dog. But it's got these lovely places where you can just observe others and sit and be a passive person, a participant. It's got nature. It's got a beautiful view. And it's been really respectfully put together within its context. And it's and it's beautiful. I reckon that is the coolest thing. And it's it speaks to my next era of my career, which is going to be all about sustainable and resilient places for sure. That's very interesting and probably not what most people would expect, but no shiny, yeah, can, no shiny glass no. <laughs> and steel in that conversation. Yeah. But yeah, look, absolutely. I can absolutely see mm. why why you'd say that. If you think about a, a square in a, a town like Rome or one yeah. of those Italian towns or Spain or France or wherever it might be, Europe it tends to be, mm. and you can sit and watch and be the sun on your face. It's sort of that feeling, that yeah. observable uh, engagement. Yeah, yeah, lovely. How can everyday people get more involved in creating places for people? So creating places, I think, for people is nothing to do with architecture so much. Sorry, architects. Um, but it's everything to do with human success and bringing people together. So anything you can do to support another person, uh, help someone bring an idea to life is good. Get involved in a project in your community. But I don't know, simple, help your neighbor. You know what? You just made a place because they and you belong to, to the space that's next to you all. It's just all place when you just help each other out. And especially those who are proximate to you, so close to you, the dude next door who, who you borrow their hedge trimmer or the lady over the road who might, who might want a cup of tea with you occasionally. I reckon that's placemaking, to be honest. It's kind of like being a good villager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Way, without, without trying to overuse my my first answer, but yeah. Oh no, perfect and probably the perfect way to end us. And thank you so much You're for so joining welcome. me today. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Um, and I really can't wait to see the villages that yourself <laughs> and Lenley's create in the future. Brilliant, Jeff. Thank you. I've loved being here. Thank you. See you. The Places for People podcast is made for you by Creo and NPM. We believe if your people matter, your place does too. Check out how we can help with your place design and building needs at placesforpeople.com.au. Whether it's a brand new workplace for your team, a bar, restaurant, a retail renovation, or a million things in between, we've got you covered.